founder or an entrepreneur. You want to take your company value to 300 million, we gon' show you how to do it. Well, we got the roadmap, the aspirations. We'll give you a game plan and strategies. Seize control of your company's destiny today by tuning in to Private Capital Mastery. Yeah, yeah. Let's start the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Private Capital Mastery Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Franco, and we are here to bring you additional thought-provoking content, ideas, strategies that are usable for founders, entrepreneurs, and CEOs. Today, I am joined by our guest, Daryl Lyons. Daryl Lyons is the founder of Pax Financial Group. He and his team of professionals approach business with the Judeo-Christian values and are deeply committed to guiding high net worth individuals and families and pursuing their unique definition of true wealth. We're going to dive into what that means. And we're going to hear more about all of this in today's conversation with Daryl. Daryl, welcome to the show. Welcome to this episode. Appreciate you yeah. spending the time with us. Yeah, thank you. I'm looking forward to it. I've enjoyed our chats before and in previous times. And so, yeah, it's been good. It, it has, it has. So where do you sit in the world and, and, and tell us, you know, Pax Financial, where do you, where's your service geography? What does that look like? Yeah, I'm in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, we have an office just um, in San Antonio, just north in a small town called Bernie. Um, Bernie's a gem of a, of a community. It really is it's a special place. I actually grew up there and um, we're a military city. So we've got clients all over the country. A lot of people come to us because they're looking for um, a financial organization that honors Judeo-Christian values. And, you know, we're not all Christians, believe it or not. Everyone in our organization doesn't uh, necessarily profess to the faith. And I don't really require that, but I do um, have a, a framework that requires everyone honor somebody that comes to us and, and has deeply held convictions. And then we try to think deeply about how to honor those convictions. And there's actually financial tools that accommodate that group of people um, more so than maybe some other tools out there in the marketplace. So we think deeply about what it means to be a Christian. Obviously I am one. And so um, it's, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a, a very interesting journey and I haven't been here forever, but since I've been on this journey, it's been fun. I've been doing this since 99, but this particular journey has been more so in the last four years as our uh, uh, environment has been more polarizing. We've, we felt the need to, to be able to accommodate the Christian community. Absolutely. And that's, and that's beautiful because, you know, you have this approach to business, right. And, and we, we all do. Right. And, 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 but what does it mean when someone comes to you? I mean, what can they expect? What is what is someone that doesn't understand what those Judeo-Christian values are? What, what, why is that? Why is that important to them, or why should it be important to them when they consider a firm like yourself? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack just in that question. I had one of my Jewish friends and clients said, "What does it mean, even the Judeo part?" And I said, "Well, you know, that's you know, that's Old Testament. We just honor and respect that um, that truth." Um, it very much is a reflection of um, the New Testament and the prophecies that are very important and the principles that are very important. So we honor that Old Testament um, book, the people of the of the book. Um, but really beyond that, that would be a subset of a question that some people might ask. But there are products in the today's financial marketplace that investors are using that actually undermine um 
the Christian faith. So imagine that you invest in companies and you have ownership in a company and we we kind of gloss over what it means to own a company mm-hmm. but when you own mm-hmm. a company and then you find out maybe through the newspapers or obviously the you know social media that that yeah. company is using their profits to do something that undermines religious freedom so now you're mm-hmm. stuck with this dilemma do i want to continue owning that company and profiting from what they're doing, or do I want to disengage from that? And we've seen that a lot more. Um, So that's just one example of what it means to be able to, um, we are a safe place where we can have that conversation and understand and empathize with that group of people that are concerned with that, those types of conflicts. That's, that's amazing because, you know, the, and to your point, right. I think that if you could come to a place where, you know, and, and to me, when I, when the conversations we've had, at least, you know, that means that you, you adhere to a code, you adhere, you have accountability, you know, and so what that means to me is that your clients or potential clients will know that you're going to behave in a way that is going to reflect your internal beliefs and, and, and the beliefs of Judeo-Christian values. And so there's comfort in that knowing that you are accountable, right, because you are handling and the fiduciary of of millions and millions of dollars, which is not your money, but is invested on behalf of your clients. And, and I think that's extremely important and should be important to those in anyone that they serve, uh, anyone that is in the service business, right? Um, you know, we have by law of fiduciary responsibilities in our practice and in our firm. And, you know, it's important that we, we, we fulfill those fiduciary responsibilities, but to know that there is a, a a higher power or accountability that's overlooking all of this. There's comfort in that. And so I I would love to hear, you know, how that applied to your business practice, to your business model. I mean, could you share a case study, given an example that highlights your values and how your values help guide a particular client that that perhaps they face challenges? Um, as they accumulated wealth or became a, a high net worth uh, entrepreneur through the sale of their business, as an example. Yeah, I can give you a couple examples, um, if that's okay. I don't want to. Yeah, please. No, I love case studies. The, the question <laughs> is the question can go so many different ways, um, but you know we've had clients where you know they've had marriage issues, as you can imagine, the stress of being an entrepreneur and. Um, they might come in and say, we're, you know, we've got, um, you know, we've got to, we've got to part ways. Mm. Um, we've seen it. Yeah. We've seen it in, in the sale of businesses. You know, the stress, I'm an entrepreneur and in the stress, my parents are entrepreneurs, my brother, my sister, all everything from solopreneurs to venture capitalists. We just around the dinner table, we talk small business. So, um, man, that stress is real. And so when it, when you, when you feel that pressure and you're carrying it heavy and then eventually you just, you just can't keep up with that marriage. Um, we hear about it and I think our values, our values come into play and, and that's when we look at it and some might say, okay, well, Hey, just go about your separate ways and reconcile. It's going to be okay. And we'll work out all the financial details. We might actually suggest because marriage is a deeply held conviction to us we might suggest 
a few marriage counselors um, mm -hmm. and to consider fighting a little bit longer. And I've got to tell you, just by us um, stepping in those waters, which could be dangerous, um, us overstepping our, our role, but uh, providing some direction to some counselors and other resources to, to make these irreconcilable differences, uh, to find a way to reconcile them. We have, um, we have participated in the restoration of marriages. Um, wow. We had some last month, as a matter of fact, and it's not something we go out and seek, but we just have a deeply held conviction that marriage is very important. And so to see us play a role in that, that would be one example. Um, I'll yes, pause there. I have another one too. No, but, no, yeah. I, I love it. And, and, and really just to reflect on that, you know, you have, I, I talk in that we, we work as professionals in different dimensions, right? So, you know, the logical dimension when it comes to our practice is, you know, more financial analysis, understanding what the market is doing, how it's reacting to a particular business in a specific industry. And, you know, we can, we can be logical in that thinking and with the outcome of, from that thinking, but there's always that human element, right? That human emotion, which is that second dimension. And in, in, in your case study, in your story, usually and most commonly we see advisors just run from that situation, right? Or not even want to address it. But the fact that you're working in what I call, you know, those two dimensions, right? The logical mm -hmm. part of the business and then the dimension of the, the human emotion, which is very volatile, as you know. More volatile than the stock market. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. It's the hardest part of our job, frankly. <laughs> but you know, it really speaks volumes to know that you're stepping beyond what others would see as boundaries or borders and taking a holistic approach and servicing that client or those clients and, and to create an opportunity where they have that renewal in their marriage. I mean, look, um you're you're not charging more for that for bringing that value, but it, that value is you bring it to the table because ultimately you do care about that individual. That's what that says to me. And, and that, that, that resonates loudly. So, but lo love to hear the other case study you wanted to share as well. Yeah. I mean, that one is obviously really important. Um, and I'm, I'm really proud to play a role there. We, We've adopted some tools that help us navigate these conversations a little bit better. You know, if you if you find yourself in that space, you're also thinking about not um, not equipping yourself. Like we've got to equip ourselves to have those conversations, and not not as though we're counselors or therapists, but we do have some tools that can help guide us. Um, they're they're usually developed through behavioral finance, which is an area of academic study that's collision of neuroscience, psychology, and traditional finance. So there is some tools that we've been able to use. But on the other case study, I think this one, you know, it's it's relevant. Um, we had a client who is in the medical space, and mm -hmm. it was a strategic acquisition coming in. I mean, they were kind of aging out, kind of tired, uh, as you would imagine. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the regulatory environment was burdensome, and um, the economic environment was just starting to to wear on them. And they were, it was cash flowing. There wasn't a cash flow issue. It was just the age more than anything. Mm -hmm. And burnout, yeah. Burnout. And you had partners too that were starting to have, you know, different ideas of what life should look like. One still wanted to grind, one didn't. So there was a there was somebody came alongside of them and said, We wanna we wanna make a deal. Now there was a third party like yourself that was involved in this transaction, help uh, navigating it, but it it it, it kind of stopped and start stopped and start you know you know i guess you know how that works they have initial conversations no and then they come back 
So eventually got across the finish line, but before the contract was signed, one of the physicians um, strategically and tactically gave away a portion of his business equity to a donor advised fund. And um, that, that gift had to be done before they signed. Um, that gift reduced his taxable income in that specific year. And then also removed completely some of the future capital gains that he was going to experience down the road. So um, that was that's a type of transaction that we enjoy facilitating because the two qualitative characteristics that are necessary to make that happen is one, you have to not like the IRS, and two, <laughs> you have to have a charitable heart. And yes. so um, a lot of our community, they – uh, in the faith-based community, they tend to have those things. And so we look for opportunities to be able to reduce people's taxable income and giving a non-cash asset, like a small business, a chunk of the small business, this was only 10% in a donor advised fund was a, was a strategy that, you know, we love, we love facilitating that. And because then when it's in there and then, and then let's say in the next six months, the sale is made, then that asset in the donor advised fund, which was a, you know, membership units of an LLC becomes liquid. And then that liquidity event, let's say it's a million dollars, can be distributed to nonprofits that really need it. And so we get to smile and enjoy that business owner being able to distribute those uh, cash um, uh, distributions to the nonprofits in the community. It's a really fulfilling transaction from beginning to end. Yeah. And, and for those of you tuning in that have never heard of a donor advised fund, you know, whether you are charitable or not, what, what Daryl is sharing with us is a powerful tool because it does offset capital gains tax. And the question that, that he, he, let's assume, you know, you're listening in, you're not charitable. I'm going to speak to you when I say this, because when you, when you dive into what a donor advised fund is and how you could set up the directives and direct funding to nonprofit organizations, as Daryl's describing, you either become very charitable, not just because of the tax incentives, but because you come to a place where, at least from what I've seen, where people ask themselves, am I going to do better directing these funds to charitable, charitable means within my community or surrounding areas? Or do they have more faith and confidence in the, in the government to do that? And so you typically see that... Mm you know, especially experienced entrepreneurs that have talents and gifts that they could bring that to their community is extremely powerful. And, uh, and, and, and Daryl, I, you know, you and I, we, we talk about, you know, these sorts of conversations all day, every day. And mm -hmm. I wanted to speak to the listener because that's what it means. And of course there's a lot to unpack there, but ultimately you don't have to be charitable ch already charitable you have to make the decision to become charitable but again there again those charities can go to whatever it could go to uh, a dog shelter as yeah. much as it can go to um you know a, a homeless shelter i mean you 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 just have to find that purpose right and, and what that reasons are yeah. But, yeah yeah sometimes i've struggled with that it's a really good point i've struggled with a you know because we don't have all christians that come to us and so some of the um, not everyone, but some of the people outside of the Christian community, um, mm -hmm. even in the Christian community for that matter, haven't really thought deeply about the giving piece. Um, and so 
it's just life's been busy, but it doesn't, <laughs> if we think about like, for those that are listening, if you think about your unique life story, there was a climax in this, in your life story. That was a, a climax you'll never forget. And in that climax, somebody helped you or you overcome adversity. And so it's my conviction that God doesn't use the climax of your story for just not. He actually wants to use it for a purpose. So if I was talking to an attorney and he was struggling with charitable gift giving and what I said, well, let's kind of take inventory. And he talked about his uncle um, paying for his college because he lived in a, in poverty and he was crying when he was telling me this. And I said, well, that's where we need to redirect your giving is try to help kids, first generation kids go to college. So that's the first hurdle. And the second hurdle is kind of settling down the cynicism that nonprofits misuse money. Although that does exist. I've worked with nonprofits over the last 20 years and rarely do I see abuse in the nonprofit space. And there's many, many ways that you can test the nonprofits and meeting with them and unpack the financials. So I think you just have to just stop intellectually, take inventory of what is the barrier to giving and then try to address those barriers. And I think once you break through them, there's actually joy that comes with it. Uh, one last point I'll make, Notre Dame did a study in the science of generosity and actually identified that those people that give have less anxiety. So as we've seen the anxiety in our country trend up, there is an antidote and it's in the space of giving, which is very peculiar space, but one I think we have to lean into, especially as entrepreneurs and we're carrying all this heaviness. Yeah, that's 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 a fantastic stat. And and without going into, you know, the specifics here, Daryl, you know, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but those directives, you know, can happen not just that that first year, but for years to come. Oh, yeah. And 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 those directives of where those proceeds are are provided or given could also change, correct? Oh yeah. I I still have a donor advised fund myself. And um, on my phone, I could click who I want money to go to. If I went to a lunch and I was like at this lunch and I tugged in my heart, I'm like, okay, I'm going to send a thousand dollars to that charity right now. I can do it from my phone and I can do that in perpetuity. And in the meantime, it's actually being managed in, in a portfolio. And that's part of what we do is we end yes. up managing a lot of that money. So at least it's growing while it's in there. Okay. That, that was probably the, the, one of the other big pieces of this, we talked about the, the tax incentives and, and, or, you know, benefits. Mm -hmm. um, we, we talked about, you know, the, the ability to impact, you know, a, a nation, uh, a county, a city, the world, right. Yeah. Fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. But the other piece of this is that, um, you know, you, you, you really have the ability to, uh, in, in this directive, right. You, you could pick and choose, where you where you send that money what what the cause is that could change from time to time and um now you're talking legacy right this is this is a legacy move well yeah let me even maybe parse those words even more um an inheritance is what you leave to someone um but a legacy is what you leave in someone mm. and so the this ultimately can be a legacy not only by giving the money, which sometimes I give anonymously because I think it's just in the in certain formats, I actually send distributions from my donor advised fund anonymously. And then sometimes I don't. I have a specific spiritual rationale or strategy behind that. Mm -hmm. um, but but what's the best way to maximize the legacy is not only giving, but actually being engaged with those nonprofits in any capacity. 
Um, and if an entrepreneur is still active um, in their business, then you know finding that blank space is challenging but worth it. But if they've sold their business, it's a really good way to pivot into the next chapter to use those skills that you have uh, in the nonprofit space that are desperately needed. Yeah, yeah. So, so just to just to take an inventory of what we talked about, you know, we talked about you know the the pain of of well the obvious pain is if you don't have a plan right a tax strategy yeah. plan you know you pay the tax and you know some some folks are okay with that and 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 that's the direction they take um but we also talked about you know the problem with not planning and the problem is you're not you're, you're not able to even if you have a legacy that you're focused on right this is a very efficient way to direct money into those lifelong and, and even those purposes beyond our life here on earth, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But the ability to do that in a way where the money that's allocated to this fund is being invested, which means it's in theory growing, it should be growing. And uh, which gives you as a, a donor or you know a, a, um, a charitable individual, more tools in your toolbox to give you know, if it, where you see needed, right? So we talked about a lot of that, but the, the possibility are of this is, you know, of the donor advised fund is it helps to, for you to look at a client situation, understand exactly what they're looking to accomplish, what their expectations are today, tomorrow, and into the future. But, you know, if you could kind of walk us through, you talked about an assessment earlier. Mm-hmm. When does that assessment come? I assume that's a big piece of how you tailor your services to fit and meet the client where they are. Is that is that fair? Yeah, it really kind of goes into the pain segment <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, because it's like it, it's really confusing, especially when you're a business owner and you're saying how much. I mean, I hate to say it, but almost every business transaction I've been a part of, they've always been disappointed with the amount. They always thought it was more. I That's just me as a transaction. Nobody said, wow, that's more. I'm going to get more than I thought. Um, and so <laughs> like when that reality sets in, it's like, okay, then I've got to pay taxes on it. And then if you don't, here's where I, I love our role because we'll, we will dissect uh, the numbers in such a way that we – I love to look at probabilities so we'll look at the probability of somebody not outliving their money. So we want to make sure they don't outlive their money. And we'll look at various scenarios um, using Monte Carlo analysis typically and say, okay, you've got a 99% chance of running out of, of not running out of money, 99% chance of not running out of money, which is awesome. So when you get to when you get to the conclusion of an analysis, that's like the sigh of relief because it's at that point I can encourage giving. It's hard to encourage giving when you still don't know if I have enough. Mm -hmm. So we really have to address that pain point first. And, and because I know that we always want to be unselfish, but we got to know, are we? do we have enough? So once we thoroughly, critically examine, you've got enough. You're going to be okay. Then we can do charitable giving without having that little piece in our mind of like, man, is this a bad decision? So that's kind of the... The step number one is doing that Monte Carlo probability analysis, and then, uh, then the charitable giving comes after that. Yeah, and and how long does that approach typically, you know, the, the assessment take? And is it one discovery meeting? Or is it a series of meetings? Yeah, it's usually two or three. Yeah, we can yeah. get it done pretty quickly. We're pretty efficient that way. 
Yeah, that, that's helpful. Yeah, because I know in, at least in business transactions, you know, and, and I'm sure you meet folks that are, you know, two to five years out from an exit. You you meet folks they're in the middle of due diligence, perhaps, right? <laughs> and 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 others that are, you know, look entertaining offers from from other, you know, strategic buyers or financial buyers in the marketplace. But no matter where they're at, sounds like you guys can move quickly. You could you could assess, you know, their situation, their needs, and and build out a strategy so that they can continue the lifestyle that they developed, you know, through through building their businesses or or even real estate holdings and portfolios. Yeah, and um, I know you have that like that um, kind of that discovery um, service that you offer. Um, yes, yes. And in that you do. Um, I don't know if it's a formal or informal valuation. I'm not, I don't remember that, Yeah. but yeah. Um, when you do that, so your listeners may know this and I just, I'm almost asking a question, almost kind of giving some, <laughs> some, some uh, insight. So when you do that, uh, that process of the assessment, which is thorough and it gives the valuation, it, it it's helpful maybe even to run parallel the personal side. So somebody would then come to me and say, Hey, Brian did this valuation on me. Can we plug this into the my personal planning and see what that looks like? And so doing those things parallel are, are, is really fruitful. It is. And the short version of what we do is, yes, we, we, we do an assessment and we do evaluation, right? The valuation is using market information and, and comparable data. So what, in that, in valuations, you usually have a range, right? It's never a, a flag in the ground. Here's the value. Here's what it's going to sell for because it, a business will always have different value to different types of buyers in the marketplace or investors. And so within that range, you know, we have to determine where does that business fall in that spectrum evaluation range? And so the assessment helps us score the business. And when you look at the scoring mechanisms, it looks at and considers transferability. So the higher the likelihood of transferability, the higher the score, the higher the score, typically indicates the higher end of that valuation spectrum. And what, what you find in that is that usually those that are scoring higher, typically, you know, best in class in, in their industry on a peer-to-peer -peer review. And we can do that. And so to your point, once that work is done, that typically goes to clients, wealth advisors, which would otherwise in, in, in a pie chart that you would look at with them, you know, it's usually a guess what the business is worth, right? Oh, I think it's worth, and you fill in the number. But the, the work that we do, we would give you with precision the range in which that in that business is trading in their relevant and relative industry. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah. You answered my yeah. questions I was going to ask. So yeah, that's good. <laughs> Thank you. Good, good. Well, Daryl, as, as, as we bring this to a close and conclude the conversation, um, you know, knowing listeners out there, you know, they're, they're there are different stages and places in their journey, from, but they're most commonly founders, CEOs, and entrepreneurs. What advice would you leave with them? You know, as they as they embark on their own journey, wherever they are, right? And as they consider, I mean, you have to imagine, like even some listening are saying, "Well, gosh, I never even thought I could sell this business. I never thought anyone would want to buy it." But you know, yeah. But as is those options come up for them in their journey and in their path, you know, what advice do you, do you offer them and, and, and how do they build a lasting legacy with confidence and with purpose? Oh man, such a good question in so many different ways. Um, so 
we're always five years out from selling or retiring, it seems like, as business owners. And I think it's important that, um, and you've seen the studies, many business owners are unhappy yes. after the transaction's done. And that's because yes. a lot of us have put our identity in the business. And so that's sucked, that life has sucked out of us. And so I don't think... I don't think that's healthy for all of us. So it is it is incumbent upon every entrepreneur to start almost practicing what it looks like. There's two sides of the equation. There's the quantitative side, which is kind of taking inventory of the business. That may mean paying for dry cleaning outside of the business than inside <laughs> of the business. Uh, yes. Some of those things, little minor things. And then there's the qualitative side, meaning what does life look like? And maybe... Um, developing different habits um, mm -hmm. and creating different communities and um, bringing value in other ways. Like I talked about nonprofit. So practicing retirement um, it before, and I don't even like to use retirement because the definition of retirement is the disposition of an asset that's no longer useful. Hmm. So I'd rather say, let's prepare for a time that you pivot into the next chapter um, where you have purpose, you have wisdom, and hopefully some money, and you can give back and leave that legacy. That That is great advice. That, that's excellent advice, because you're right, it is not retirement. And even those that, you know, slow down, or or they take interest in other types of businesses, or, or you know, in, in some cases, we've seen it where their their purpose became charitable, right? And And they really offered themselves more time in the sale of their company. And, and so their work continued, they didn't retire. So I, I love that word pivot, because that's what they're doing, they're pivoting. And whatever their pivot is, you know, the, the reality is, you want to, you want to be, you want to leave wherever you're at, you know, with the right strategy, maximize the proceeds coming to them, right. But that means not only just accessing the highest valuation possible, but you know, keeping more of what they make. And the way you yeah. do that is with tax planning and tax strategies. And yeah. that's what Pax Financial does. And that's why we really wanted to bring you on the show because you speak to that and you help, you know, un uh, unravel that, that mystery for some, right? But then you also give a playbook for others to follow. So, you know, I really appreciate that. Appreciate your wisdom, your experiences, the you. case studies you shared. Um, it's it's definitely resonates with me and i'm sure it'll resonate with those that are tuned in and listening in but yeah for sure Sarah, thank th you yeah thanks for joining us yeah thank you um and for any of you that want to get in contact with daryl we will have links down below in in the episode uh for you we are also going to be give you provide you with links email linkedin what have you so if you're interested in speaking with Daryl, we encourage it. He's a great man and certainly has provided a tremendous amount of wealth and knowledge, wealth of knowledge to his client base so that they could pursue their wealth and their dreams that that wealth has created. So other, you know, with that said, I want to thank you for joining this episode of Private Capital Mastery. I'm Brian Franco, and we look forward to seeing you next week as we unpack more and reveal more strategies for you to dissect and learn about. Thank you.